Hello, you're listening to Situational Significance in our special quarantine stay-at-home edition. Also, make sure to check out Architecture and Your Own Mind, part of the Vanguard Podcast Network, and check out the paper, PSU Vanguard. I'm Nick. I'm here with my co-host, Hannah. Well, I'm Hannah. Uh, I am currently broadcasting out of my closet, sitting on a pillow with my third cup of coffee, because it's that kind of day. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing all right. I'm going to be in my dorm for the next week, keeping my windows closed because there no there are no screens, and I'm terrified of bugs. That's fun. Um, this is part of a special series about work during the pandemic, and life, and communication, and all that, and how it's changed. So, so this episode we're talking about uh, how work specifically has changed, and what its effects are right now and maybe lingering effects. And the biggest issue I would say affecting the most people is massive unemployment. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we got this article from CNN here. Uh, Unemployment is 14.7% as of the most recent unemployment estimate uh, in April uh, 20.5 million Americans at least have lost their jobs so far, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, that's a lot. That's like the most since the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. What's going on? I mean, I feel like I feel like we were just like kind of getting out since like our last recession. I felt like we were just getting out of like high unemployment, and then the coronavirus happened. And no one can work. <laughs> yeah, um, I I'm really feeling for like older millennials right now who have basically lived through two once in a lifetime economic crises. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, twenty point five million people have lost their jobs, which is basically as many as gained jobs since the recession. So like oh my most of those jobs have been lost. But the question is like is it permanent or is it going to be kind of a V-shaped recovery like people are saying? I think it's going to be different. I just want to say I remember distinctly wondering to myself in high school why I never got to live through like a historical event. And um always wondering it's like oh life is so boring now nothing is gonna be put down in history and now i'm sitting here like i really wish i wasn't part of a major historical historical event right now yeah i i miss not having to worry about how the history books are gonna remember this like i i miss boring times so i think like on the recovery it's never gonna be as simple as just we go straight down and we go straight back up again yeah, so I I do want to kind of think about the second order effects of this. Like it's not just people losing their jobs, it's people like defaulting on their mortgages because of that or being evicted, you know, in in states that haven't uh, halted that. It's people who have, you know, rent payments maybe piling up even if they're deferred. It's, you know, not being able to pay for uh student loans or groceries or anything and like the wider impact of that, I feel like is going to last for a long time. Like, what are your thoughts? 
I mean, anyone who, like, anyone who's trying to help by saying, like, oh, we're just going to defer your rent payments while you're not getting paid. But once you get a job again, you can totally pay all that back, right? That'll be fine. It'll be fine. And it's, there's no way to make up that lost time. Yeah, I mean, especially people taking out loans with interest they're going to have to pay. The interest um, is going to be horrifying. I mean, I'm imagining we're already kind of seeing it, but like a mass shuttering of small businesses that just can't survive mm-hmm. and like big corporations kind of picking up the pieces. And I'm yeah, just ma- I'm worried about like what the long term impacts of this are going to be. It's going to be small businesses. I think small businesses are definitely going to be the worst off because they don't have savings for once in a lifetime pandemics. But massive businesses do. I think um, one thing that I do think. So one major corporation that I think will be hurt by this pandemic department stores. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember seeing, um, I was already kind of heartbroken with like online shopping becoming now a major thing because we can't go shopping anymore. And any in-person stores are, they they were struggling already. Like just from people not wanting to shop in person and now they can't. Yeah, um, I, I feel like this is, Except for essential stores like like grocery stores, I feel like this is kind of the last nail in the coffin for brick and mortar retail. Mm-hmm. J.C. Penney has already filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, uh, I I saw also J J Crew like filed for bankruptcy, and I think uh, some other department store. Like it, it's a lot. It's so weird. I specifically remember i never enjoy going to jc penny i never do i don't like their clothes i don't fit into their clothes but when i saw that it was going bankrupt i was like oh that's that sucks yeah and i mean i i also wonder you know they're they're not necessarily closing if they go bankrupt but for for the stores that do close like a lot of people work there and where are they gonna work now like right. Amazon, I mean, it, there's just this shrinking of available businesses. Like, I think that's kind of a difficult situation with the unemployment that's happening. I want to so support small businesses right now. Small businesses are going to be like some of they're they're at they're at risk for just having to shutter. Um, but at the same time big businesses do employ a lot of people and they'll never be hurting for like customers. They'll never be hurting for people wanting to shop there. But if they ever did like lose a significant amount of like people who are like going to shop small now that there are still employees there who could be harmed by that. Well, yeah. And now basically every, um, brick and mortar store is is really struggling and i just wonder you know everyone in the country can't work in an amazon warehouse 
and I'm kind of worried. Um, I have this this Forbes article here um, that since March 23rd, Jeff Bezos has increased his net worth by $30 billion. And I'm just thinking, like, is Amazon and, you know, other online business, are they going to be even more powerful and have a bigger share of the market after this and be like the only game in town. So I just found an article from Forbes that uh, Jeff Bezos has increased his net worth by about $30 billion since March 23rd. And Amazon is kind of the perfect business to pick up the pieces after this because they're an online retailer and they are the online retailer, basically, and everyone is ordering stuff online now. And so I wonder, like, how big they're going to be after this. Like, I'm not going to lie. If one of the um, one of the many possible two presidential candidates just campaigned on breaking up Amazon and making it chill, I would vote for that person. Because... Amazon is horrifying. I mean, we had two, but th- I won't get into that. Um, <laughs> like, we, we, we were so close. And Amazon, so, like, I know, like, I was saying, it's like, okay, supporting corporations or, like, buying from corporations right now, I feel like it definitely has, like, a, um, if you can not shop at major corporations, don't. Like, um, whenever I have extra money, I shop small. I want to support small businesses, especially in a pandemic. Um, for people, I feel like it kind of gets overlooked that people who don't have as much money to support small businesses do need to shop from these larger corporations that make things cheaper because that's all they have. Like, that's all they can do. But Amazon, it's like, yes, buying from some corporations will help keep them employing more people, but Amazon doesn't even treat the people that it's employing decently. Yeah, I I, I just personally, I've tried to like scrub Amazon from my um, business list from people I buy from. Same here. Um. It's so hard because they own so many things. Yeah, I found like some online bookstore I used to love is owned by Amazon now. I hate that. Um, any. I try not to shop at Amazon, but Whole Foods sells my favorite cheese. What am I going to do? So um, l- let's go a little more locally. Um, the Oregon Employment Department. Uh, said on Wednesday that they've only paid about 55% of people's unemployment claims. Um, That seems like a problem. People rely on those to live. And there's this other article we found from 538 that is basically laying out the ways in which some unemployed workers with the uh, pandemic unemployment extension, I guess, uh, are actually making more on unemployment than they were with their jobs. And I feel like those two are pretty related. So 
I feel like we should talk Ooh. about that because that's been a big thing that's got a lot of news coverage recently. Definitely. So what what does it mean? <laughs> I remember when I first, um, kind of like near the beginning of the pandemic, um, I came from a small town and I would hear people kind of saying like, oh, well, now people on unemployment are making more than they did. Because a lot of people from my small town complained about people on unemployment and taking advantage. And they kind of used the pandemic as like, they're not going to want to go back to work because now they're being paid more. And I brushed it off as like, okay, you're just angry. <laughs> and you're just kind of distracting from like the actual problem here. But reading this article, it's still, it is a problem. It's a problem, but I don't think it's a problem. The people who are earning, who are on unemployment, who are getting this money, they are not the ones at fault here. Yeah, so I I agree it's a problem, but, like, why is it a problem? Is it, like, is it an issue that people are making too much money on unemployment? Or is it an issue that their wages before we're barely even making up for like this bare bones welfare program. It's an issue for their wages before. Like you would think if, if they're being paid enough on unemployment that they don't want to go back to work, like, like the people that I've seen who aren't going back, are saying that like the extra 600 is the difference between them paying their rent or being able to afford food. And like, if the choice is between staying at home, which the government is actively encouraging us to do, or going back to work and still not being able to afford necessities, like that seems like a pretty easy choice to make. Yeah. Like, that is, that choice, when people are faced with this choice, they're they're going to do what makes sense. They're going to do what's rational. And that's no person's fault. Yeah, I mean, they have to live. Yeah. And, like, because I guess the, a lot of the times, the kind of angrier argument, the more argumentative argument is kind of, it always plays it out like, oh, they're going to be using all of this extra money that they're getting on, like, things that aren't necessary. When that's not the case. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember the article right now, but there was, like, a some economic report out of, out of a university that basically showed that people who were making more on unemployment we're funneling all that money back into rent and food and necessities, which is mm -hmm. like, also it just makes it a good economic policy. Like that money is literally being distributed back into the economy. Like every dollar you spend on unemployment is multiplying a huge amount. So right. I don't know. There, I, I didn't say because I so I, I started reading over the article. I, I read over the article in the data. Um, because at first my initial reaction was like, oh, 
wouldn't it be a shame if politicians were like, oh, this is this is the amount that people live on. This is because I don't have the greatest view of politicians. I can imagine them saying that like, oh, this is what you live on. And then they're actually like, that's not what we've been living on. You're just out of touch. But that's not the that is not the equation that they used. So they used the national average unemployment rate to come up with this number, to come up with like the amount of unemployment that people were getting. And it's definitely going to be the case where you can't use national averages for deciding how much money people need for necessities. Yeah, I mean, cost of living in like here on on the map they have Massachusetts versus Oklahoma is completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that among those uh, jobs that are actually making more, which are like food service, janitorial, medical assistance, people that are, you know, necessary for society. um, They Mm -hmm. are, barely making any more than they did in like the east coast maryland massachusetts rhode island all those places where it's already expensive to live and unemployment is scaled properly i guess but like if you go into the middle of the country then people are making a lot more and why why don't we just base it off of cost of living i don't get it i mean i definitely think Sometimes I some this is political opinion that will never happen. I do wish that America as a country we are so different. State to state is so different. Mm-hmm. And just in Portland, the price of an apartment in Portland is not going to be the price of an apartment in another state or even in other parts of Oregon. Yeah. I mean, if you drive, like, 20 miles out of Portland, then cost of living goes down dramatically. And so at the top of the, at the top of the um, statistics that they have in this article, um, they're listing about which, um, which jobs are making, would, like, sorry, I need to, like, perfect my explanation of this. So, like, pausing. So in the statistic that is presented by this article, they are listing different kinds of jobs and they are listing about where their wages started and then comparing it to where their wages are now and which ones see the biggest gap. Food service is at the very top because I am pretty sure a lot of food service jobs don't get minimum wage to begin with because they're relying on tips. But then there are some other there are some other occupations on here that like teachers are being paid more now on unemployment than they were teaching students and raising the next generation. Yeah, I mean I feel like that that gap alone just kind of proves the point that they weren't being paid enough to begin with. And, you know, now with this extra unemployment, making more than they did, they're still 
barely making it. Mm-hmm. And I think, could this prompt change afterwards? What are the chances that this will prompt change afterwards? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, we had, like in the Democratic primary, there were a lot of candidates talking about universal basic income and, you know, increased social programs. And now it seems like those are really, like, prescient issues. But, you know, we have two presidential candidates that kind of don't care. And uh, I don't know, getting into political opinions, but it seems unlikely in the next four years. Maybe we'll be surprised. you are enjoying situational significance here on the vanguard podcast network um we have two other podcasts that you are sure to enjoy we have architecture as well as your own mind um we live stream tuesdays at noon with news stories for the week and we also publish our news stories in our weekly newspaper check them out you are sure to enjoy them cool so we're back uh, un- unemployment and jobs. Sorry, major... Th- this is this week is a disaster for me. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just oof. It's um, 90 degrees. That's just the temperature of hell. Yep. Uh, so we have a few interviews this week with uh people who have been affected by the coronavirus in their work. Um. Our first interview is actually with my mom, who works at a hospital as a switchboard operator, and she is going to work five days a week. Um, she's an essential worker, and this is what she had to say. I, right now, am working at two places. I work at Providence Portland Medical Center um, in access services as a switchboard operator, and I also... Um, I'm the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Parents Via Egg Donation located in Portland, Oregon. The nonprofit has suffered greatly um, because of the fact that we uh, depend upon um, financial help and sponsorships and partnerships from our partner clinics um, and egg donation agencies. Um, globally. And because of COVID, many, well, all agencies and reproductive clinics have stopped cycles, seeing patients, et cetera, et cetera, because they can't see them in person. And you can't have that kind of a medical practice without having um, in-person visits. So because they're not doing any business, Many reproductive clinics have been on the verge of bankruptcy as well as the egg donation agencies we work with. And so we are the, one of the first um, expenses or expenditures rather that they cut. So we've lost all of our funding from them um, because we provide pretty much free service for our patients. And then in my other job, thankfully I was hired by Providence Portland um, as a part-time position 
and um, I get my medical benefits through there. I work swing shift, and it's nerve-wracking because I have to leave my home every day when I would rather be sheltering in and go into a hospital where, you know, active COVID patients are staying. And But I am thankful that I have a job, and that's kind of where I'm at in regards to work. Everybody's concerned, of course, about uh, developing COVID. Uh, is it on the forefront of our mind? Sure, because you cannot be in the hospital without a mask. Um, as far as precautions, there are three entrances into the hospital now when there were a myriad of them before. And each entrance, um, they take your temperature, they ask you if you have any symptoms, cough, shortness of breath, fever, chills, are you feeling well, are you feeling ill? And they give you a mask and then you're on your way. And anytime you leave the hospital, even if it's just to go across the street to a medical building, when you come back, your temperature is taken again. You don't move anywhere in the hospital without a mask. Um, even in my office with other employees, and because we're essential, we have to be there. We social distance. We all wear masks. You can't have two people sitting at a table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a different way of life. Our next interview is with a reproductive physician who works in Portland at Oregon Reproductive Medicine. Uh, his clinic has been mostly closed during the pandemic because it's non-essential medical work, but they're slowly opening up, and he has some things to say about how his work has gone. I am the medical director of ORM Fertility, uh, which is a uh, fertility clinic that has offices in uh, Portland metro area as well as in Bellevue, Washington. In mid-March, um, Governor Brown, the governor of Oregon, uh, issued an executive uh, order uh, that um, resulted in postponing of all non-urgent healthcare procedures um, in order to conserve personal protective equipment and hospital beds for the state's COVID emergency response efforts. And uh, as a result, uh, we uh, really um, stopped performing fertility treatments that were not considered emergent or urgent. Um, the only patients that uh, we continue to treat were uh, patients uh, that were needing to freeze their eggs for fertility preservation because they had uh, been recently diagnosed with cancer and they needed to have their eggs uh, preserved uh, before they started undergoing chemotherapy for their cancer uh, treatment. But most patients, I would say at least 90% of patients um, stopped any fertility treatments uh, in mid-March and uh, it was only until really the beginning of May um, where we started um, helping those patients again because the, gover the governor then issued an order in late April indicating that um, medical clinics including fertility centers uh, should be open to treat patients again. In uh, the end of March um, we did um, 
reduce our, our staffing because um, there was really no work for many people to do. So we ended up um, laying off or furloughing uh, about, well, we laid off about 60% of the staff and the remaining 40% were furloughed where they uh, were working, but it uh, reduced hours. And our last interview is with a small business owner, a restaurant owner, and waitress in Scappoose, Oregon, at the restaurant Ichabod's. And this is how she's been affected by the coronavirus. So I'm the owner of Ichabod's in Scappoose, and I work there. Um, um, like from two in the afternoon till nine o'clock at night because we're only open from four to eight because of the coronavirus. So I'm, I'm a waitress, owner, bookkeeper, everything. That's what I do there. Um, well, for six weeks it was closed completely. And then uh, now we're doing just takeout only uh, four hours a day, five days a week. When we're normally uh, from 5.30 a.m. to 8 p.m seven days a week so things have changed drastically um but we're just doing takeout right now so people only come to the counter pay and take their food out so there's no dine-in service at all so we wear masks when we're out front um but there's it's just counter work that's it people are in and out well this was situational significance stay at home edition Mm -hmm. uh we're still in this living hellscape of a pandemic uh, everything is terrible. Don't go outside and have fun. Indoors. Yep. Resist the urge to go outside in- unless you wear a mask. Please wear oh. a mask. Wear okay. a mask. Wear a mask everywhere. Please do. Make them as cute as possible, but wear them. <laughs> <laughs>